My name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met before, it's great to see some new faces in the crowd today. Welcome. If you do have any questions afterwards, you're welcome to speak to me. But today we are starting a new teaching series called Money Matters. And what we're looking at is what Jesus has to say about the topic of money. Now, if you're new here, or this is your first Sunday, this really sucks for you. <laughs> it's, it's one of those really, really awkward kind of things where you think, oh, it's one of those churches. And I fully understand that. Like, I've been a pastor for years. I've been working in the church for, I think, 12 years now. And about three years ago, Shell and I, we went on a Sunday off and we visited another church. And it's a church with people we know. The guy who was preaching, I knew, and he got up and he said, today we'll be preaching on money. And instantly in my heart, I judged him and I judged the church. And I thought, this is all they ever speak about and this is all they care about. And I'd like, just instantly cringed and I hated it. And it was a great message. And I think I was completely wrong. But like that was inside of me as a pastor, knowing so many pastors and so many churches. So if you are new here, I'm sure there's instantly a cringe factor and a, oh, why did I come here today instead of somewhere else? I fully, fully understand that. And really, that's my fear for the series. That's my fear for this morning is as soon as you hear that we're speaking about money today, as soon as you hear we're going into a series, five weeks talking about money, you're just going to zone out and you're like, cool, peace out. We'll see you guys in a month's time when you guys are finished with this or either that or you'll never see me again. Because obviously, this is one of those churches that only speaks about money and cares about money and wants money. That's all that you might think we're about. And I fully, fully understand that. You might hear what I'm saying already and just think, this is a series about giving, which it's not. It's a series about money. And you might think, why did I even come today? Maybe when there's a little prayer moment just now, you're going to duck out. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum is I know there's some of you here who are surprised that we don't take up an offering in our services. It's one of the questions we often get asked during our new members courses. It's like, why don't you do that? Because some of you come from church backgrounds where you're used to every Sunday there being like a 10 to 30 minute mini message speaking directly about giving and offerings and tithes and all of those things. And you've come from church backgrounds in the past where um, during that time you felt manipulated. You felt like, sheesh, okay, these guys are really trying to get every penny out of me that they can. And you've come in here and we don't take up an offering. And you thought, What's wrong with this place? <laughs> like, why do they not take up an offering? And it's confused you. And I know maybe even some of you are starting to zone out today because you're saying, oh, they're talking about money. It's my biggest struggle. I'm poor. I don't have a job. I don't have money. I don't think of myself having much at all. And now you're going to speak about this. This can't be for me. But really, this isn't a series about cold, hard cash. This is a series about our hearts. This is a series about following Jesus when it comes to the area of money. This is a, a series about idolatry and about the things that we serve and the things that we put our hope and our reliance and trust on. It's not just a series about what you earn or what you've got in the bank. And then while we were preparing to do this series, South Africa went into a recession. Our economy has been smashed, both by things that are happening internationally around the world and by things that are going on locally. Obviously, locally, land expropriation is a huge topic that I think everyone is talking about. And I don't know where you land on the spectrum of good to fear in terms of that conversation, but it is a necessary conversation for us to have. And our country has got a, a terrible history of economic injustice. I don't know if you know this, but our country leads the world in terms of income inequality between rich and poor. That is one of the things you don't want to be number one of in the world. And that's us. That is our story in South Africa. Last week, um, petrol price went up by a rand to the highest it has ever been. And on top of that, if you didn't know, I'm so sorry. And on top of that, our unemployment is through the roof. 
I think like we've got a lot of American friends, and often when they're asking about our context in Durban or in South Africa, one of the things I have to tell them is that our unemployment is higher than the peak of the Great Depression in America. It was called the Great Depression. It's just normal life for us. Our unemployment is incredibly, incredibly high. When it comes to money in South Africa, as disciples of Jesus, this is something we need to think about. This is a conversation we need to have because money matters and money impacts our faith in a huge way. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 is probably one of the most misquoted and distorted scriptures in the whole Bible. And as it pops up behind me, you're definitely going to recognize it. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, how's this language, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs or sorrows or griefs. That's what Paul has to say to Timothy about money. Notice it doesn't say there that money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. Money is innocent. Money is not guilty. Money is just something that we can use for good or bad. Money is not bad on its own. But the love of money, the way we respond to money, the way we use money, the way we put significance to money, the way we put our hope and trust in money, is the root of all kinds of evil, piercing some of us, hurting some of us, causing all sorts of pain. How we respond to money and what it represents is a huge thing in our lives as humans, but particularly for us as followers of Jesus. And love, uh, sorry, the love of money is a powerful thing. It's caused maybe even some of us in this room to steal, to lie. It's caused people to kill. People have given their lives for money in the past. It has ended friendships, it's divided families, it's ended marriages. People have hurt others, enslaved others, hurt many, killed others for the sake of money and what it promises. The hope that actually we could have the life we dream of, that we could be satisfied because we've got enough or we've got more. The world knows that money is a powerful force. That's why that scripture, 1 Timothy 6 verse 10, has been brought into popular use. Because we know the power and the influence of money on our hearts and our lives. Money matters in a huge way. And we've called this series Money Matters because it's such a brilliant title. So clever. I don't know if you noted the play on words. But it is very, very clever, cutting-edge stuff. But we've done this because money does matter. You know, The way we think about money and use money and spend money and save money and invest money. The way money impacts our desires and our decision-making. And every area of our life is huge. Money matters. And on top of that, we want to talk about money matters from a biblical point of view. And we want to get a strong theology, a strong biblical worldview, an understanding of what Jesus and the Bible have to say about money so that we can handle it well, so that we can live with wisdom when it comes to the area of money, so that we don't live like the way the world around us lives, actually so that we can follow in the way of Jesus with this very powerful and very significant tool in our hands. Now, as the church, and particularly as Harbour City, we have not done well at speaking about money over the last five years. I went over our preaching roster, and we uh, preached three times in five years about money specifically. That's about three times out of 265-ish sermons, which is a very, very low percentage. And when we have done that, generally it's been like a wisdom around money kind of thing. I'm sure there have been times that we've spoken about in other sermons the power of money, how money can be an idol, how we can worship money, giving to the poor, tithing, offering generosity. All of those things have come up. But there have only been three messages in five years specifically about money, which is bad when we consider how much Jesus speaks about money. 
Randy Elkhorn is probably like the leading evangelical guy who speaks about the theology of money and how money plays a role in our lives. If you want a book on money, I would really recommend you read something by Randy Elkhorn. But he says that Jesus spoke about money more than any other thing other than the kingdom of God. He said that Jesus talked about money more than he did about heaven and hell. And that 16 of the 39-ish parables, kind of there's some debates about which are parables and which are not, 16 of his 39 different parables are about finances. Bible experts claim that about 15% of Jesus' teaching was about money. Christianity Today, a famous Christian magazine, writes that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, an amazing one out of 10 verses deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, just under that, like 400 and something verses on faith, and over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Money matters. Money matters. I think money matters so much because God knows how connected our wallets are to our hearts and to what we worship and to how we make decisions and how we live our lives. And this is a key area for us as disciples of Jesus in following him and in worshiping him with every single part of who we are and what we do. Jesus teaches that how we handle money is probably the most significant and, I guess, clear indicator of our spiritual maturity, which is a hugely challenging thing. And that means that for each one of us, our budgets or our balance statements are theological statements. They tell a lot about what we really believe and what we really worship and the life that we are really living in this world. Those things don't lie. So this is a necessary conversation for us to have. But I was thinking about how I feel this morning having this chat, and I kind of feel like one of the teachers at high school or at senior primary, who they kind of draw the short straw and they have to have the sex education chat with the class. And everyone knows it's important. You know, the teachers know, the parents know, the kids know, but everyone still feels awkward going through the conversation. That's how I feel today. But this stuff matters. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said there are three conversions necessary in the Christian life. The first is a conversion of heart. The second is a conversion of mind. And the third is a conversion of our wallets. And that makes so much sense because if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, he can't just be the Lord of part of our lives. It's all or nothing. That's kind of what Jesus is speaking about in the scriptures. I do want to say this is not a series about money and giving. That is not the focus of this series. This is a series about how we as disciples of Jesus handle money and handle possessions to the glory of God in our everyday lives. That's really what it's about, how we follow him and how we live for him. And just honestly, as I've been preparing this series and as I've been preparing for today, I think I see how the invisible power of money has this grip on our hearts, you know? I feel like I've seen more and more just the greed and materialism and covetousness inside of me and almost going through these verses and wanting to be an example and wanting to go ahead of the church in all of these things. I just see how almost these things can fester under the surface, kind of unseen, untested for a long period of time because this is a powerful, insidious force that wants to get inside of our lives and wants to rule and reign. Before I get into our passage for today, I want to speak just a little bit about this series and about what's coming up, almost so you can have an idea in your mind of what this is going to look like, and also maybe so you know whether or not you want to invite anyone to church over the next couple of weeks. So today I'll be speaking about money in the hearts out of Matthew chapter 6. Next week we'll be looking at stewardship, this idea which is kind of an old-fashioned word and idea that everything we have belongs to God, that we are stewards or managers of the things of God, everything, our time, our money, our possessions, our energy, our friendships, everything we have belongs to him and is his. So we are stewarding or managing that stuff for his glory. 
The week after, um, a good friend of mine, Rob DuFord, he leads a church in Orlando, Florida. He will be with us with a team. They'll be leading worship that Sunday. Rob is going to be preaching on a completely different thing, not part of the series at all. He's actually going to be speaking about the glory of God. I'm really pumped for that sermon. Um, so that'll be a bit of a break from that series. And then we're going to go into a topic on a biblical theology of giving. We're going to look from beginning to the end of the Bible at kind of what the scriptures have to say about the big moments of giving and generosity and response to God with money in the scriptures. Then we're going to speak on something I didn't think we would do, but we're going to look at the prosperity gospel for a Sunday. And I thought to myself, this isn't really relevant for us until I started to realize how many of us, no matter our background or ethnicity or whatever it is that might make us different or separate, how the prosperity gospel has gotten into our hearts. And we think if we've got a job, if we've got money, if we're healthy, if we're well, then God is pleased with us. And how we believe that if we don't, that he's displeased with us. You know, We believe that lie rather than believing in the grace of God, that we don't earn God's love, that we don't earn God's favor, that he, he is a God of grace. And we're going to end on the 11th of November getting practical with giving, talking about tithing and church membership when it comes to money. The other thing we're going to do in that series is our very own Shane Cadman on the 1st of November is going to do an evening. It's a Thursday evening at 7 p.m. We're going to meet in here, and he's going to do an evening on wisdom with money, and he is going to get super practical. And I think this is so key, you know, because some of us maybe even have good theology, but we've got terrible practical knowledge and common sense about this. And Shane is the ideal guy because Shane invests people's money all the time. So he's seen kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of decisions that people make, probably a lot of the pitfalls that we can make. So he's going to speak about budgeting and saving and investing and a whole bunch of practical things. And then he's going to make space for Q&A. And you can ask some of the questions you might have. Now, I think this is relevant for all of us. I think that will be an evening that will be helpful for every one of us in this room, no matter your age, your background, your income, anything. But I think particularly there are so many people in this room who are starting out your careers, you're starting out saving, you're starting out earning. This is an amazing time to put good habits in place for our futures that actually we would make good decisions early on that we set ourselves up well for the life that is to come. The last thing we're going to do is during this series, we're going to be taking up an offering. It's not an offering for Harbour City. It's not an offering for anything in Durban or even anything in South Africa. But there's a couple named Carl and Kai Schaefer, which Shell and I met about two years ago. And they're part of Restored Uptown. And they are training and preparing to move to Tunisia. I've heard so many people say Tunisia in America. I'm sorry, I'm really bastardizing this, guys. I'm really, really sorry. Tunisia, um, that it's really affected me. But they're going to be moving there in about June next year. And they're going to be preparing to plant a church in North Africa. If you don't know Tunisia, it is probably the the northernmost country in Africa, very close to Italy, just across the ocean. It used to be a Christian stronghold. Today, it's a 99.9% Muslim. So they're going to be moving there to learn Tunisian Arabic and over time to get to know people and beginning to share the gospel with the hope of planting a church. But I I don't just want to tell you about them. Thought before I get into any of the practicals of what that's going to look like, they're going to pop up on the screen and just tell you a little bit more about their heart and that background. So, Ayanda, if you can pop that up, you can turn your eyes to the screen.
I don't know if you feel excited, but I, I really feel excited that we could partner with these guys. And when Shell and I were in California now, we spent some time with them, and they spent a few hours just sharing their dream and their story and wh what they're wanting to do. One of the things I wish they'd said in the video, but they didn't, is that after the Arab Spring and kind of all the political unrest and everything going on in Tunisia, the number two or the second most Googled thing in the country at the moment is who is Jesus. Like there's this amazing openness and interest in things that before kind of they were closed off to. And um, they went with a team from a store just to kind of uh, be on the ground and sightsee a little bit. And they just said um, that there was such an openness to them. You know, Kyle studied jazz music. So he's a jazz pianist. And he ended up playing a bit of music there in a club and starting to connect with people. And that's what they're hoping is actually he can play music. He can uh, take on some students. They can start to work some jobs and get to know people. And over time, they can begin to share the gospel and plant a church there. So we're really pumped to be involved in the story to be investing into the city of Tunis, into the country of Tunisia, to see the gospel advance and the kingdom of God come. And maybe over time they'll come out and visit us and share a bit more of their story. Maybe over time some of us can go over there and encourage them and to see what's going on in the ground. But what we'd love to do over this month, up to the 4th of November, is really open it up to take up an offering that we could really bless them and invest into that. So I would love you to do this. Is You can do it today. You can do it over this next month. Let's just spend some time at home praying and saying, God, would you have me give? And then if yes, how much? And I think it would just be an amazing opportunity for us to stretch ourselves. We haven't done this in four years. The last time we took up an apostolic offering like this was when Phil and Lee Kendon were moving to plant or to replant Black River Church in Mauritius. So I'm really excited that we can do this as a church. And we, we really want to be blessed to be a blessing. We want to be a church that really is generous to others and sees uh, disciples made all around the world and sees the kingdom of God advance. So we've got a role to play in this. And today the Restored Family of Churches are taking up that offering. They've kind of been building towards this day for a while now. And I'm just excited that we can kind of partner with some guys in America and some guys in Tunisia to see the kingdom of God come. So please be praying about that and thinking about that. We'll give you a bit more detail as time goes on, and you're welcome to come and ask questions. But if you've got a Bible, can I ask you to turn to Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24? Otherwise, it will come up on the screen behind me. And as we kind of finish off um, our first part of the series, we're going to look at some of Jesus' own words about our hearts, our worship, our masters, and our perspective when it comes to money. I think this passage is an incredible diagnostic or barometer for where we are in terms of our money and our worship of Jesus. And the passage starts and says this, Do not, this is a command from Jesus, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just want to ask you before we carry on with this passage, when was the last time the thought of eternity shaped your decision-making process? When was the last time the thought of heaven and the life to come shaped why and how you did something? I'm sure a lot of you have heard of a man named Alfred Nobel before. He was a Swedish chemist, and he was the guy who invented dynamite and a whole lot of other explosive devices. So he became very wealthy selling uh, his inventions to all sorts of governments so they could invent weapons. And he had a, a very awkward morning one day. After his brother Ludwig died, he was sitting at his breakfast table, he was having a coffee, he was eating his fruit salad, and he was reading the newspaper. And instead of Ludwig's obituary being in the paper, he read his own. 
this French newspaper had made a terrible mistake and they had put Alfred Nobel's obituary in the paper and he did not like what he read at all because it was a very scathing, um, I guess, discussion of his life. The newspaper condemned him for inventing dynamite and they gave him this now infamous nickname, Le Marchand de la Mort. It's the merchant of death. And the cover of this newspaper said, The merchant of death is dead. Imagine kind of getting that as you started your day. That's your breakfast time. And he read uh, in the newspaper this line, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. This shook him, and it caused him to reassess his life, to think about what he lived for, to think about the decisions he'd made and what he had done. And he had this unique opportunity that probably very few people have to edit the role that he would play in history and to choose the life that he wanted to live. So he decided to use his fortune to celebrate the accomplishments of other people in a whole bunch of fields that added to the human race. And he started what is now known as the Nobel Prizes. These prizes uh, to celebrate the greatest benefits of mankind. He donated 94% of his total assets. In 2008, they worked this out to be about 186 million US dollars to establish the Nobel Prizes. And what I love about this is he invested what he had into something larger than himself, he invested everything that he had into something that would um, kind of really matter in the world, and he invested something, everything into something that would go on for generations to come. Quite an amazing life. In Matthew 6, when Jesus speaks about money and how we use it, he speaks about how it only has temporary value. He says it's here for now, but it will pass away, unless we use it to impact eternity, unless we use it to impact heaven. And Jesus here in this passage says, do not, this is his command. He says, do not spend all of your money on houses and on cars and on clothes and on possessions and on holidays and on adventures and on things that will please you. And what he says is those things are all temporary. It's not that they're bad, they're good things, but they're all going to pass away. They're all going to rot or rust or be stolen or break or be gone. Jesus says no earthly treasure is safe. I think this is like the most discouraging thing. I'm sorry. Happy Sunday morning. But what Jesus is saying to us is all of the things that you've bought, all of the things that you love, your home, the things that you've collected over time, whatever it might be, will one day be gone. Our lives are eternal. We will live forever. But the things that we have won't. So instead, Jesus says, spend your money on what will last forever. Jesus' primary argument isn't against what we've got. I think what's quite amazing here is Jesus doesn't say, the primary argument isn't, it is immoral to have all of these things. In other places, he might challenge how we spend our money. Jesus also doesn't say those things won't satisfy. In other places, he might say that. But Jesus' primary argument here is it's a bad investment to spend all of your money on things that are temporary and will pass away. You know that preaching illustration where people say you can't take it with you? And they talk about a hearse with a trailer. Have you guys heard that before? Never seen a hearse with a trailer. I was on Twitter recently, and this guy named Matt Smithhurst posted a picture. And he said, this picture destroys thousands of preaching illustrations. And it's this pic of a hearse with a trailer behind it. Not very helpful. Do you want to put up the next one? Awesome. Um, there's actually a ton of photos of hearses with trailers if you go online and you have a little bit of a look. And I don't know why. I don't know if that is people just deciding, I want to be buried with my stuff. But you do do that. 
But Jesus' point is still true. Like, you can do that. You can do the hearse with the trailer. You can be buried with all of your things, but you can't take it into eternity with you. That stuff will pass away. He says you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And this is kind of the powerful thing of Matthew chapter 6. What Jesus is saying is that the money, the possessions, the energy, the time, everything that God has given us is eternal investment capital. Everything that we have every single day has an opportunity to be invested and used to impact eternity. Your time, your energy, your friendships and relationships, your influence, your money, your home, your car, whatever you have got can be used to impact eternity and to impact other people's lives. It's incredible to think that our money matters in eternity. And then Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we all know this is fully true. Um, I don't know if you guys all remember when Bitcoin became the thing for like five minutes. Remember everyone was talking about it all the time. I know some of you are still invested into it and are really into it. But this was like a big thing. I feel like every day I'd go into a conversation or someone would be pumped about it and what they'd invest in all of this stuff. And Shell and I, we started this little prank. We thought, okay, let's do this. So when people would bring this up in conversation, we'd say, Bitcoin, we've heard of that before. Didn't your mom buy a whole bunch of those like a few years back? And people would freak out. They'd do this crab thing. They'd be like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And we'd say, I think she bought like 30 or 50 like a couple of years ago. And people would freak out. They'd be like, that's millions of rands worth of stuff, you know. Um, but it wasn't true. If I did that to you and I didn't tell you, it wasn't true. But there was this reality that people were getting into it. They were spending their hard-earned money on this unseen invisible currency so they would get their app or their widget on their desktop or whatever it was so they could track how their investment was going, you know? Green arrow, red arrow, how are things going? And of course that makes sense because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, you know? If you're investing into something, you want to see it perform. You want to see that your money isn't wasted. You want to see that it's doing well. And Jesus here is telling us to lead our hearts with our investment, saying that where we put our treasure is where we care about. It's what matters to us. So will you put money, will you put time, will you put energy into the things that matter most in this world so that you will develop a greater love for those things? The second thing Jesus does is he speaks about two different perspectives. It's a bit of an interesting passage. It says in verse 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, if you were here last week, you would see the irony of this passage because last week I had a terrible eye infection and my eye started to balloon up. In fact, on Monday morning I woke up and my eye was swollen shut and it was a little bit gammy and Shell started to call it my throat eye. And looking at that, this is what Jesus is speaking about here. He's speaking about the healthy, normal eye, and he's speaking about the throat eye, like what I had last week. And almost as we read this passage, you might get the illustration, but you kind of think it's so random that it's sandwiched in there. You know, Jesus has been speaking about money from verse 19 to verse 21. Verse 24, he's going to carry on talking about money. But then there's a sandwich, this weird kind of center passage about eyes and health and light and darkness. It doesn't really make sense to us. If you read this similar passage in Luke 11, it makes a little bit more sense. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is dark, your whole body is dark. And then he, warm, then he warns us against greed straight away. And it's like Jesus is saying to us, sins associated with money, greed, 
coveting, consumerism, materialism, all of those things, it's almost like we've got such a blind spot to them. It's like we just can't see them. It's like darkness inside of us. With other sins, we know what is going on. We know. For me, I know my struggles with pride, my struggles with anger, my struggles with lust. I don't know what those things are for you. Maybe gossiping or lying or sexual sin or maybe whatever it is. We know those things. We repent of those things. We pray about those things. But it almost seems like when it comes to money, there's almost like these blind spots with us. And we don't see that we've got a problem. We don't see that we've got a struggle at all. I think I can demonstrate that now. You know, I don't think any of you, when I started sharing this morning, said we're doing a money series, went, God, thank you for answering my prayers. You know, I've been confessing my sin of greed and consumerism over the last few weeks and asking for help. And here you have answered my prayer. You were doing a series on the thing I need help in. Thank you, God. You were so kind to me. But almost as we go through this passage, I think some of us are thinking, okay, I understand the bad eye analogy now. The series isn't for me, but whew, for that person, they've got a really fraught eye, you know? And we start to think of other people who maybe, in terms of money, we think they might have a problem. With other sins, we seem to know we've got light. We can see that there are struggles in our lives. But when it comes to these money sins, it just seems we've got these crazy blind spots and just can't see our struggle. When Jesus is speaking about the eyes, he is speaking about our perspective on money. And the bad eye in Jewish culture would be the evil eye. It would almost be looking at other people and wanting their demise, you know, coveting what they've got, hoping that they would lose that and you would get that, wishing the worst for them. But the good eye, the kind of Christian perspective, would be that we look at the world through a lens of generosity. We look at the world with... Um, eyes that have been transformed by what Jesus has done. We've got the most generous Father in heaven. And almost we would see everything that we have as an opportunity to be kind, to be generous, to bless, to build up, to invest in a way that would impact eternity. People with the bad eye use people and love things. People with the good eye love people and use things. That's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. And in 2 Corinthians 8 9, the Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, worshipped by the angels in the splendor and glory of his kingdom, yet though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor. He came to this earth, he suffered and died, he served, he laid down his life, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Through what Jesus has done for us, we can be adopted into God's family and share in the inheritances of eternal life and the kindness of God towards us inside of him. Have you got a good eye or a bad eye? Shell told me this story um, a few months ago, and it just stood out to me, um, of having a conversation with one of the most generous people I know. His name is Grant Hazel. Uh, a bunch of you would know him. He's a really, really generous guy and just almost seems to secretly be doing a whole lot of things to serve and bless people. But Shell was sitting and chatting with Grant, and they were talking about Roger Federer, that's right, Roger Federer, who I think uh, was the South African fullback uh, for one, our rugby team. Um, any Roger Federer fans in the crowd? Any tennis people? Pastor, do you think he's the greatest tennis player of all time? Top three? He and Pete Sampras. So, I mean, he's up there. He's an incredible player. So his um, lifetime earnings are over 400 million U.S. dollars. He's a very, very wealthy guy. Um, and Shell and Grant were sitting and they were talking about his generosity, the charities he started and the good that he has done for other people. And he's opened 81 preschools in Malawi. 
And they were talking about this. I mean, that is incredible. I don't know how much she's given away, but that is absolutely generous. And Shell found herself, and I'm not throwing her under the bus, but I think we're all in this place. She found herself going, well, of course. I mean, anyone who's got 400 million US dollars should be giving a ton of money like that. Like, where's 100 preschools? Come on, Roger Federer. What about some for South Africa? You know what I mean? And she was kind of talking about this because we all associate with that. We think, well, yeah, he is so rich. Of course he should be giving all of that away. He should be doing more, you know. And Grant very wisely said to her, well, actually, you know, if we're not doing anything with the little that we have, we're not going to be doing anything if we had a lot more, you know. And the reality is, is probably for all of us, we know some of the most generous people we've met in this world are not the richest people we've met. And some of the richest people we've met are not the most generous I think that is part of the challenge here, is are your eyes filled with light or darkness? Are they healthy or well? Have you got Jesus' perspective on money and possessions? Or what is shaping you? Have you got the frota like I had last week? Jesus ends talking about two masters out of Matthew 6 verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the other master or God in this illustration is mammon. Maybe some of your Bibles have that word mammon there instead of money. He is the God or representation of money and wealth and possessions being trusted in and worshipped. And this word mammon uh, comes from this derivative, this word aman, which means trust or reliance. And how easy is it for each one of us here to take our trust and our reliance from Jesus and put it in money? or put it in our jobs, or put it in our investments, or our RAs, or in the economy of the country, or whatever it might be. How easy is it when something goes wrong to say, okay, Jesus, I'm out, and put our trust in these other things? How easy is it for us to take our hope, and our trust, and our salvation out of being in Him, and put it into our bank accounts, or what we're earning, or whatever it is, because we really believe that our salvation and hope is in those things. That is what Jesus is challenging here. Who are we serving? Who are we following? Randy Elkhorn again says, Once we allow money to have lordship over our lives, it becomes money with a capital M, a God that jealously dethrones all others. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. So who is it that you are serving today? Who is it that you're living for? And that word serve is the problem. To follow, to worship, to love, to live for money, that's the problem. Being rich isn't the problem. Having a lot of money isn't the problem. Having really nice things isn't the problem. The problem is when we put our hope in those things, when we put our trust in those things and begin to serve those things and live for those things rather than trusting in and serving and living for Jesus. The quote from Fight Club, I think it's the movie, but it might be the book too, that says the things we own end up owning us. And that's true. You know, The question is what do we serve? What do we live for? What do we worship? What is the thing that owns us? Or are we using money to be served? And there's a really good test that we can do. Tim Keller says, money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. So the question is, where does your money flow effortlessly? Where does your money just easily run to? And where are the places maybe where we hold it in? Does money effortlessly flow to family or comfort or stuff or saving for the future or your house or you or your partner or Jesus? How, how and where does your money easily flow? What Jesus teaches us in the New Testament and what we'll look at next week is that everything we have belongs to him. 
Nothing we have is ours. We're stewards. We're managers of the things that God has entrusted to us. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Everything we have is his. And in a sense, we want to say, God, I give it to you. I trust you with these things. I don't trust in myself. I don't trust in mammon. Everything I have is yours to be used as you want. I want to end with a story. Some of you might have heard of the story of the Knights Templar and their baptism practice back during the Crusades. But what would happen is before these guys would go out to war, before they'd go to fight, they would be baptized by the church, but they'd be baptized with their swords. And when they went under the water, what they would do is rather than taking the swords under with them, they would leave their swords just outside of the water. And it was their way of saying, Jesus, you can have absolutely all of me. I am yours. I surrender my life to you, but you can't have my sword. What happens on the battlefield is none of your business. What happens with the sword is not about you. And in a sense, they were showing who their real master was in that moment. You know, They were kind of saying, Jesus, you can have all of me, but that, that is not part of the deal. And today, I think for so many of us, we see there, okay, the master they loved was war or battle or whatever it gave them. And that was what they were really devoted to. We can't serve two masters. And for us today, there are things that almost as we are baptized, as we go under, that we hold up. Say, Jesus, you can have every part of my life. You just can't have that, you know. You can't have my wallet, or you can't have my house, or you can't have my relationship, or my career, or my time, or my comfort, or my dream. And the challenge of Jesus is he says, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So I was hoping the band could come up, and we're going to do something just a little bit differently. If you're down to do this, can I ask you just to close your eyes, and we're just going to respond to maybe what God has been saying to you today. I realize all of us are in different places. Maybe some of you feel moved by God today. Some of you don't. But I just want to pray for us, and if you don't mind closing your eyes, if you're comfortable doing this, this might be a little bit cheesy, but I think it's maybe a really practical, helpful illustration for us is if you're down to take out your wallet or to take out your bag if you want or to take out your phone with Zapper and your banking app or whatever it is and almost put that in your hands before God and just say, God, this really is yours. I'm sure for a bunch of us today, there's like pulls on our heartstrings. We know actually this is a struggle or part of this is a struggle for us. And if you're serious about this and are wanting to respond to him today, I think it's an amazing way just to say, Jesus, you can take all of me. So let's pray. God, I want to serve and follow you with everything I have. I genuinely don't know, as Grant's been speaking, if everything I believe about money and possessions and stuff is what you believe or not. I don't even know if Grant's motives are pure in what he shared today. But I ask you to open my eyes to your truth. I ask you to open my eyes to your way and to your will. And if you're happy to say this, Lord, I give you everything. I trust you with my money, with my decisions, with my future, with my life. It is all yours. And today, if there's anything you need to repent of and leave behind, As I spoke about those things today, if you see you've been investing only in this earth and not into eternity, today if you see that actually you've got the bad eye, not the good eye, today if you see that you've been serving the God of Mammon, the other master, 
rather than Jesus. Maybe it's just a moment just to repent and pour that stuff out before God. But I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to come upon us and meet with us and speak to us now, Lord. motives are mixed, hard for us to know our own hearts. I ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to your truth, to open our eyes to see how glorious and beautiful you are. And I ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to see our blind spots, Lord God. There's probably deep heart stuff going on now. And I just ask you, Lord, to wash our hearts clean. Holy Spirit, I pray you would empower us to live out your ways because this stuff is so challenging. I pray that you would give us the power that we need to follow you. 